0: You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthopechurch. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well, good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a, gra- a Bible, grab it and turn to Genesis chapter sixteen. Guess my name is Cody, I'm one of the pastors here, and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly. And love to do so. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Genesis, which we have titled God's Story of Creation to Restoration. If you're a guest today, we normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say, not what I have to say. So every week we come and we hear from God's word and see how we should respond to it. Now, we call this preaching on purpose. It's preaching because God is speaking. And when he speaks, we should hear from him and respond to him. Now, if you are not a believer today, it is our prayer that you will see who our God is. You will see what he has done in Jesus Christ. And you will see who the church is, who we are as a family, and how we respond to the word of God. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those hard-covered black Bibles in front of you in the pew there and turn to page 11 and follow along with us. As we start this morning... I would like to pray. God, as we look at your word, would you give us uh, both encouragement, but would you also challenge us? In this story of hardship and affliction and difficulty and brokenness, would we see how faithful you are? Would you speak to us now through your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lost. Uh, Lost is uh, an old TV show uh, that came on. And for a long time, I told my wife, I will not watch that show because it looked ridiculous. I thought it was uh, not going to be good. And so finally, after some time of her saying we should watch Lost and we exhausted all the other TV shows that we were watching. It was in probably during the summer when there's no TV shows coming on and we really enjoy watching shows together. She broke me down and I began to watch Lost. And to my dismay, I absolutely Loved it and could not get enough of it. So much so that we would watch episodes, and it would be about nine forty-five. And you know, I normally go to bed at ten because um, I'm getting older these days. And it's, uh, you know, we would, it would be nine forty-five. I say we can we can get one more, and we can squeak one of the, one more of these episodes in. See, the problem with Lost is you have no idea what's going on. Like you really just don't. If you've never seen it, don't watch it. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to spoil it for you probably here. It's been on for a long time, so. We would watch the episodes, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? This makes no sense. And so here's the thing. You really have to watch Lost twice. You have to watch it all the way through, get to the end, and see the terrible ending that it is, and then go back and watch it. And then you understand the whole story. But you have to actually go through the story to understand what's actually taking place. This passage today is a lot like that. We have to get through the story before we can understand what God is teaching us. So normally at this moment, I would give you the main idea of the sermon. I would, I would tell you, what are we to do today? Well, who is God and how should we respond to him? But We're going to do that after I walk through the text this morning. I think it's going to help us see what God is actually saying to us. So we're going to have the text up on the screen. I encourage you to look in your Bibles and follow along with me. And we're going to walk through the text this morning. So, verse number 1 of chapter 16. Abram's wife, Sarah, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, remember, God had told Abram and Sarah that in chapter 15, you will have a son. Abram was concerned. He was, he was wondering, God, when are you going to give me this? Because in chapter 12, God promised him a son. But, but Moses opens this narrative by highlighting the problem. Sarah has not born a son to Abram. They do not have any children. They are old. And then Moses does something interesting. He, he introduces us to Hagar, which many of you may know who Hagar is. She's a slave from Egypt. And most likely, she came with Abram and Sarah after they left Egypt in chapter 12. And I think Moses is actually foreshadowing the events that are going to take place. So look at verse 2. Sarah said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Notice, it's not her fault. It's God's fault. It's not sin's fault. It's not the brokenness of the world. It's God's fault. She says clearly, God is the one to blame for me not having children. So I have a great idea. Go to my slave, perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Instead of trusting God, Sarai takes the matters into her own hands. She comes up with her own idea. And she wants to have a child her way and in her timing. Now listen to these words as we look at verse 3. So Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. Sarai took and she gave. Those two words should be... You should remember those two words. Where where do we see those two words? We see those in Genesis chapter 3 when Eve took the fruit and gave it to her husband. This was not a good idea. Now you might wonder, why would Sarah do this? Look there at the end of verse 3. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan for 10 years. For 10 years. After God had promised, you will have a son. Month after month. Year after year. Is this the time that we get to have a son? And every month, she would learn that it was not time for them to have a son. In the pain of knowing that she's going to have a son, but she can't yet, constantly knocks at their door. It's a constant tapping. Is he coming now? And so she takes matter into her own hands. Verse 4, he slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. And when she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress, that is Sarai, became contemptible to her. And Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms and when she saw that she was pregnant... I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. It's your fault, Abram. Her plan has now backfired on her. Once Hagar became pregnant, emotions and desires began to run high. Remember I told you when we started Genesis, this is going to run much like a soap opera. And that's exactly what's happening. We all know this cannot be a good idea. Moses tells us, that she took and she gave. We know that this is not a good idea. But when Hagar becomes pregnant, this changes everything. And now Hagar detests Sarai. Hagar does not like Sarai. Why? Because, yes, she has become pregnant by Abram. And she knows that she has a son. She knows that that son is Abram's, who is the leader and look, once Sarah learns of Hagar's response, she blames Abram. Look at verse 6. Abram replied to Sarah, Here is your slave. And so once he is blamed, Abram says, You know what? This is your slave. She's in your power. Do whatever you want with her. And notice, then Sarah mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. I want to be clear here from all sides, there's sin from all three parties. First, Even though Hagar is a victim, she's used to have something gained from her. She developed a sense of pride. This is my child. This is mine. And we can all understand the joy of becoming pregnant and even pregnant by Abram, but this pride leads her to detest Sarai. And second, Sarai tries to shift the blame Right? She blamed God at first. Now when, it, when it's her idea, it's not her fault. It's now Abram's fault. But, but thirdly, Abram, what does he do? Well, how, how is he in sin here? Well, Abram tries to be neutral in the situation. It's not on me. It's your fault. You decide what you want to do. But Abram cannot be neutral. He's not a neutral party here. He's a co-conspirator. He's the one who listened to his wife. So what happens? Hagar runs. In verse 7, the story shifts here. Moses writes, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness. It's the first time this has happened. God shows up in the scriptures. This is a messenger with a message from God speaking for him. And the spring was on the way to sure. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? Does God not generally ask us questions? What are you doing? What are you doing? And she replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. Now, this is why I think Hagar's pride is sinful Because the Lord calls her to go back to Sarah and to Abram. Now, I also want to be clear. This word mistreat is the same word that Moses will use in the Exodus. That the people of God were mistreated by Pharaoh and his people. And he heard their affliction. There is a clear connection here. But it's ironic, is it not? It's the Egyptian who is being mistreated. Not the Israelites. And so when they hear the story, they're hearing the story of Abram and Sarah and all they can think is probably how wrong Hagar is and then Moses says, she's been mistreated. Look at verse 10. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. Now, This sounds really close to what God said to Abram, right? In the midst of a horrible situation that's been compounded by sin, God's grace and mercy and kindness and blessing shows up. The story comes to this moment. The story isn't the point. The message from the Lord is the point. Without the story, we would not not understand the Lord's message. Look there at verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to her, You have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. We will now see three important names listed here in the story. And they help us understand the message in which God is saying to both Hagar and to Abram and Sarai. Ishmael is important because his, na- his name literally means God hears. God hears. And God hears in affliction. God hears in our distress. He heard Israel when they were in Egypt. And he hears those who are in brokenness. Look at verse 12. That son, this man, will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He will settle near all his relatives. Now when we take this birth announcement, it seems to connect to other important announcements as well. You have the announcement of Isaac. You have the announcement of of Samuel, Samson, John the Baptist, Jesus. it, It seems to The Lord is saying, this is important. You should stop and pay attention. But there's also a consequence to this birth. There's a consequence to the situation that they have put themselves in. Ishmael will be confined to the desert. He will be a wanderer. And he will be in contentious relationships. That's what it means by he will be like a wild donkey. He will not be the kind of man you want to be around. We've all experienced those people. And despite all of that, the Lord showed great grace to Hagar and in her response. Look at verse 13. So she named the Lord who spoke to her your El Roy. For she said, in this place have I actually seen the one who sees me. This is why the well is called Ber Laharoi. It is between Kadesh and Bered. In this moment, we see a person outside of God's covenant. Outside the blessings of God, in her brokenness, our God shows up. Our God is a God who sees all things. And when he sees, he will manifest his presence and his providence accordingly to those who are suffering and broken. It's by this manifestation that he can be seen. Now, the well is where Hagar is, has seen God, and she will actually see him. Now, what this means, it isn't, doesn't mean that God actually showed up physically. I think this is an angel, a messenger. I do not think this is God coming in a spiritual form. I think this is a messenger who speaks for God. So when Hagar, she sees, she experiences the manifestation of God's message in his word. And the well was evidence of this divine providence and this provision. She's in the desert near a spring. It doesn't happen very often. And God provides her needs because he sees those needs. And this evidence was the fact that this is the living and true God. She encounters God, Yahweh, the one who saved Israel from Egypt, So the question is, what do we learn from this? God hears those in distress and those in brokenness. He hears our cry for help. Our God is a gracious and kind God. Even though when we mess it all up, he hears us. Sarah, though, had to learn this the hard way. From the experience of of Hagar despising her, who came back, who had experienced God's word, like many of us have never experienced, to Ishmael. Sarah did, Sarah did not cry out, but took human calculation. She began to write her own equation, and she, be, she began to say, This is what we're going to do. Hagar thereby benefited from God's provision instead of Sarah, so that she came to know more of God's presence than Sarai did. This now brings us to the main idea of the sermon. What we've seen here in the passage is this. Abram listens to Sarai's advice, causing strife between everyone, but the Lord sees brokenness and responds accordingly. But for us today, we should be patient with God and pray to Him because He sees us in our brokenness and need. We should be patient with God. How many of us today are frustrated with God because he he hasn't seemingly given us the answer that we want. Or he hasn't provided a clear answer. Last week, we see Abram ask God, why have I not had a son? And God shows up and is faithful to him. And Abram believes. But now, as time has passed, that faith is tested. So people of God, we are called to be patient with God and pray to him. Why? Because he sees us in every situation, even brokenness, and in our greatest need. So four quick lessons that we learned from our passage this morning. And they'll help us be patient with God and pray to him. Number one. Faith and waiting go hand in hand. Faith and waiting go hand in hand. As the story has shown us, the real problem is not that Sarah is barren or that she has no son. What is the real problem? She's impatient. But let me ask you, do you like waiting? Do you like waiting? Don't ask me that question. I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. Just think about it from... From just a normal everyday experience, we go to a restaurant. We go and give the hostess our name, and we have to wait. And you can ask my wife. I pick restaurants based on knowing that I will not have to wait when we get to the restaurant. I don't want to wait. Uh, I want to go and sit down and eat. But we go, and then you're seated, and then who comes up to you? A waiter. Ironic, right? A waiter. And the waiter asks, what can I get you to drink? She brings her drinks back, or he brings her drinks back. And they say, are you ready to order yet? We've not even looked at the menu. We have no idea what we want. And they say, we'll give you another minute. Wow, really, really patient waiter you are. And so they, they come back, they get our food, and now in the meantime, they're not patient. I'm not patient. My three-year-old definitely is not patient. And we're wondering, where is our food at? We are not patient people. We do not like to wait. Give you another example. Ashley says, "I have a a superpower." It's not a superpower you want, though. Um, It's not. It's not one you pick from. Like, yes, my superpower is to make green lights turn to red. That's she says. That's my superpower. And so, when when we come, you know, it's green. We're coming. Everything's fine. Boom! Hit the red light. Get through that one. Next one, red light. Another time. Got to wait. And I am really, really good at waiting at red lights. No, I'm just kidding. I'm really not. And so Ashley says that's my, my superpower. So much so that when she, was, when she was in labor with Graham, I made every stoplight happen down Capitol before we got on 440. I mean, it was, it was impeccable. Every green light turned to red. We do not like to wait. I do not like to wait. If you struggle to wait, if you struggle to wait your faith will struggle. If you struggle to wait, your faith will struggle. You see, faith and waiting are tied together. It isn't really faith if we never have to wait outside of ourselves. Here's what happens in the waiting. Two things happen in the waiting. Two things are tested when we wait. Number one is our character. Think back over what we've seen Abram go through. But immediately we're alerted to their problem that they cannot have children. That is a problem in Genesis chapter 11. And, of course, they knew that immediately after being married for a short time. There's no contraceptives then. And then God comes on the scene. He calls them out of idolatry. They trust him. And he promises them a son. But what happened in the meantime? God also promised Abram land. And in Genesis chapter 12, after that promise, a famine comes. So as Abram waits, his character is tested. Am I going to trust God or not in this famine? And he leaves and he lies to Pharaoh. Then secondly, though, he comes out of Egypt and he comes to the land. And what happens? His family tests him. They They begin to argue and But here, Abram makes peace. He tries to help, and he gives away the best land to Lot, who takes the best land, even though it's not the best land. He walks by sight, and not by faith, and Abram has to go get him. So already, Abram's faith tests his character in the waiting. Singles, those of you in the room, waiting to be married will test your character. Are you preparing for what God has for you, though? Young married couples who desire to have kids. Waiting for children can be difficult. But are you trusting God's provision for you and your family? Parents, are you waiting for that child to turn back to the Lord? Have you prayed and prayed and prayed? Have you forced your own way in that? And have you trusted God? In the midst of the waiting, are you praying that He will work are you trusting him that he's going to work? Our character is tested when we wait. But the second thing that's tested is our reason. Now, what I mean by reason is what we think to be true and right and good. Right now, it's absolutely acceptable for Abram to take Hagar as his wife or, or to use her as uh, someone to provide children for him. That is, in, in their time, right? In this time when they're together. It's, it's socially recognizable. Hey, this is fine. Sarah, I cannot give you children. Take Hagar. Totally acceptable. But that doesn't make it right. In fact, the last time we saw someone have two wives, it didn't go so well. Genesis chapter 4 is Lamech, and he has two wives, and he is the epitome of pride and boasting. The Bible never condones or promotes polygamy. Never. In any shape, form, or fashion. And in fact, the Bible goes to great lengths to show how terrible it is and how bad the consequences are. Even this story shows us how it creates conflict and tension that leads to brokenness. Now, here, here's important—just uh, an important side note. Moses does not whitewash Abram. Abram is the father of Israel. He is the spiritual father of all Christians, all believers. That's what Paul says in Galatians. He's a hero. He's a titan in the faith. Hebrews chapter 11. But Moses does not whitewash his story. He's very clear. This is who Abram is, but this is who our God is. And that's the point. We can trust God not because of the people that we see to be heroes and they're perfect, but because our God is faithful in the midst of broken people. Faith. Is tested in waiting. And here's the thing. Our reason is not to be trusted over and above our faith in God and his promises. Our reason can be good. God has given us mental capabilities to do well, to have wisdom. All those things are good. But may they never be trusted over faith. And notice this. Ishmael is going to be born. Hagar comes back. And the problem hasn't been resolved. Sarai still has no son. The story calls for more faith and more waiting. More prayer. Faith and waiting go hand in hand. And I love this quote from Alistair Begg. We will not know faith until we wait. We will not know faith until we wait. So faith and Wait and go hand in hand. But number two, human effort will not fulfill God's promises. Human effort will not fulfill God's promises. As we look back on Sarah's solution for the, for the problem, I want to be clear that her intent was to use Hagar to build her own family. Look back at verse 2 with me. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Sarah believed that she could induce She could bring about God's promises by her own plan, with her own ideas and will. Even though she couldn't have a child herself, she could use someone else to get what she most desired. She could get God's promises the easy and fast way. We live in an instant gratification culture. Kids in the room, I want you to look up at me. When your mother and father say no to you, it is good and right. Because you do not get everything you want. And it it helps you understand that it is good and right for our parents to tell you no and to make you wait. Why? Because God does not just give you anything you want like a genie. It's good and right for us to learn to wait. But your culture, the one you live in, says you can get whatever you want at any point in time. You might ask, why in the world is this wrong? Had God not promised a son to them, this was clearly a pathway forward. This was you know, hey, this was easy. It was acceptable. Why would this be wrong? Well, there's a couple reasons for that. They did what would work, not what was right. They did what would work, but not what was right. The end never justifies the means. We can tell ourselves over and over and over again that the end is good and right, but the means will never be justified. Just because it's condoned or favored in our society doesn't mean it's right or that it's the right course of action. Just because something makes logical sense doesn't mean it's what God desires. Secondly, they listen to the voice of reason, although reason is not to be dismiss wholeheartedly. We should use our reason. It's good and right for us, but it must be coupled with faith. Faith must be informing our reason. Because without God, we're we're, we're stuck. And thirdly, Abram listened to his spouse over God. Now this isn't to say that our wives don't have great ideas. Our wives have wonderful ideas. Wonderful ideas. But anytime our spouse tells us To do something that contradicts God's word, we should listen to God over them every single time. And now, and to be very clear, this this may not be intentional. I know there are situations where spouses are told to do something that would violate God's word. It's on purpose. I understand that, but really it happens more subtly than that. It doesn't mean it's intentionally sinful. But whenever that happens, we should trust God and his word. Now, you may say, well, how do we do that? Well, we need wisdom. One from God's word and two from God's people. My wife and I joke because as we talk through things and are working through, you know, kind of what the Lord's teaching us. When we come to that point where she's saying the right thing, but I don't want to hear the right thing. And I'm, I know it's the right thing, but I still, if she says it, ah, it's probably not the right thing in my mind. You know, that's, that's whatever's there. She says, just go talk to Seth, who's a really good, close friend. Go, just go talk to Seth. He'll tell you. He'll, and then when I go to him, he, what does he say? The exact same thing my wife says. It does happen. It does happen. But what we, need, we need people in our lives that can actually help us discern, is this what God is saying or not? We don't get to just do that on our own. And then finally, here's the thing. Ultimately, they believed that their actions would fulfill the promises of God. That's what Sarah and Abram believed. They believed that they could induce Literally bring about God's promises. Even though God desires to use us in his kingdom and he invites us into that, he is the only one who can fulfill his promises. The only one. Would we humble ourselves so much so that we would pray and seek him and trust him? When we try to do God's work for him, when we try to gain His promises through our own works, we will be left hanging every single time. As we've seen, we will just make things worse. At the core of our impatience is mistrust. Do we trust God enough to wait for Him? Will we wait in silence or difficulty or pain? When we we mistrust God and take matters into our own hands, we are sinning against our good and gracious Father. How do we do that today? In our families, we have conflict. And when that conflict arises, we don't, we don't pray. We don't, we don't ask God for wisdom. We don't trust Him. Instead, we try to force our way into that conflict. And then oftentimes, we make it worse. Instead of trusting God, being clear not, not being sent to office, but engaging in conversation after prayer and thoughtful discussion with our church family. But oftentimes we, we want to force that instead of letting God work in that moment. I know a lot of you have tensious relationships with family members, some of you with your spouse. Are you praying and asking God to work in that, and then respond. And how he would lead you. But we also do this in the church. The same thing that Sarah and Abraham did. We also do this in the church. What do I mean by that? It's called pragmatism. We do what will work and not what is right. We do what will work. Whatever will draw the most number of people. We're going to do it. That may be to to the detriment of them hearing the gospel clearly. It may be to the detriment of them becoming a mature disciple in Jesus Christ. We we just want to get them in. So the church does things that will work, but not always things that will do it right. And now look, it would be easy for us, you know, we just, we just want to one step in that direction. But will we trust that it's God who builds his church and it's God who builds his kingdom? Will we trust him no matter what? But notice here too. The sin, that is, impatient human effort, has immediate, generational, and lasting consequences. Just read about what happens between Isaac and Ishmael here in the next few chapters. It's going to have immediate consequences. And it's going to have generational consequences on their children. And if you didn't know, the war between Isaac and Ishmael goes on today. Judaism and Islam... Are still fighting each other they're still fighting each other this is a direct consequence to abram and Sarai's sin their impatience your sin is going to impact your loved ones you may think it's hidden you may think it's not that big of a deal but it will impact your loved ones and maybe it will impact your grandchildren When we don't trust God and we we can't wait, we actually make things worse. Human effort will never bring about God's promises. And when we try to force God's promises with our plans, it will never work out. But there's a but to that. The third lesson we learn is God continues to be faithful despite faithlessness. God continues to be faithful. God sees in our brokenness. God is not unaware of the difficult circumstances that we have. He's aware of every situation in the room. But it's also true that God sees those who are broken, those who are outcast, those who are rejected and mistreated. And in fact, we see in the gospel accounts, Jesus seems to go towards those people and call them out of sin and to call them into his family. Thank God he does that because because of sin, we are outcast. We are not in the kingdom of God. The story of Hagar should teach us that God draws near to the brokenhearted. John Calvin, the great theologian, said this, let us learn from the example of Hagar how God stretches out his hand to the afflicted even in the most desperate of situations and how he unexpectedly comes to their aid. And I love this last part, that they may have no cause for despair. May we learn from Hagar that our God will come to the broken and he will restore them. Is this not our hope? That God will restore us out of the brokenness? We all experience the brokenness in the world and we, and we look to Christ and we say, will you restore this? A clear example is when Christ goes to the woman at the well. Very similar situation. Very similar. This woman comes to the well. She, she's experiencing brokenness. She's probably, uh, she's tried to find hope in, in all kinds of things, and Jesus confronts her, go get your husband, and she's like, I don't have a husband. And he's like, You're right, you've got five. So Jesus speaks truth to her in that moment, but there, Jesus meets her in that broken place. And, and is really the fulfillment of this. Jesus comes to us when we could do nothing for ourselves, and we've tried and tried to make it on our own, when we've tried and tried to force our plans to get God's promises, Jesus, he shows up quietly and calmly and calls us us out of our sin. And that woman responded and she tells the whole town about him. Now, in the midst of this horrible situation where Sarah did not wait on God and insisted on her own way, that her own way could bring about the promises of God, God shows up. Think about it this way. Many of you have children or or have had children. I grew up playing with Legos. Uh, Now they have magnetiles that are like magnets and they stick stick on each other. They're pretty cool, actually. (laughs) And what do our kids do? They go to building things. Graham is three and he starts to build. He wants to build a castle. He's like, "Build build a castle with me, Daddy. Build a castle with me. But actually, we have directions that tell him how to build a castle. But does he look at those directions? Not a chance. And he begins to build that castle, if you call it that. And he 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 asks, us, "Hey, Daddy, come help me! Come help me!" And you look at it. And you look down at that monstrosity, re- referring to the Legos, not the child. And you and you swoop in, you swoop in, and say, "Son, this is not how you. This is not how you build a castle." Is that not what God does with us? When we've tried and we've calculated and we've put our plans in place and ultimately they look terrible, have done nothing, have made things worse, what God does is he he brings all the right pieces together and he shows us this is where this goes. This is how you build this. This is how this should look. God comes because our children leave all these other pieces that should be in the castle. And we do it too. God comes and picks up those broken pieces and he puts them back together. That's the kind of God that we believe in. God shows up despite our sin and the mess of things that we've made. God comes to pick up the pieces with wisdom and grace. Some of you are are in really difficult situations with family or friends or work. Some of the some of you live with folks who aren't believers. May we never try to force God's promises on them. But may we pray for them and speak the gospel to them in kindness and love. Why? Because God will do what he says he's going to do. And we can trust him. He hears us in brokenness. He hears us in, in need and in hardship. But if we're honest... If we're intellectually honest, we come to this place where say, well, what do we do now? How do we know if we're walking ahead of God's promises or if we're doing this in our own power? One thought, our motivation. Do we trust God? Is our faith secure? Or are we trying to accomplish the promises by ourselves? Are we impatient? Are we greedy? So what do we do? With all the questions, do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. Growing up, as I, as I played sports, I had multiple coaches who would say this in similar ways. In football, it was, if you don't know what to do, just hit somebody. That's, that's what our coach said. It didn't matter. It didn't matter if it was the right person or the wrong person or if it was a running pay, play or a pass play. If you don't know what to do, just hit somebody. If it was basketball, if you turn it over, don't, don't commit a foul next, after that. Right, get the ball back. Let's, let's do what we're supposed to do. Do the next right thing. All right, we must learn to do God's will, God's way, and God's timing. The question is the timing. All right, God calls us to act, but the question is when does he call us to act? All right, so, so we must seek to do God's will, his way, trusting him to bring about his promises. When Sarai tries to force God's promises... It is her motivation that was wrong. Remember, she wanted to build her own family. It was out of her effort that this was going to be accomplished. She did not trust God anymore. It was her motivation. Her motivation of being hurt month after month, year after year. We do not have a son. And she let that her overwhelm her. If you're waiting on the Lord, do the next right thing. Don't force it. Because you will end up making things work. Whatever season you're in, do the next right thing. This will help us balance waiting patiently on God and godly good ambition. How do you do that? Press into the Lord through scripture and prayer and fasting, but also press into community, into the local church. Press into God's people, open up, talk to them. This is what's going on, and I'm frustrated with God. God can take it. We saw that last week and the church can take it too because most of us have been in that situation. And when we help each other, we help one another press into the Lord. But when we hold those things back, we're never going to know how to help one another. And then finally, press into your calling. I don't mean this mystical thing. All right. I mean, where has God placed you? If you're a father, you're a father. If you have a particular job, you are an employee of that job. Whatever place God has put you, do the next right thing. Consider where God's placed you. Consider where he has you and do the next right thing. At the end of the day, this story teaches us that when, when we, whenever we try to force God's promises on, for ourselves or for others, it's going to destroy things. But our God is gracious. He's gracious to pick up the pieces so much. So how do I know that? How do I know that our God is worthy of our trust? Well, Jesus Christ was sent into the world, into the brokenness. If you ever needed a picture of a God who loves you, it's the God who sent his own son to die on the cross for us. It's that God who steps into the brokenness. And Jesus' birth is the better birth. It was announced. Mary, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. You're going to name him Emmanuel. Not Ishmael. Not God hears. But God with us. That's how we know that our God loves us. And in that that story of Jesus, we see a person who is perfect, Fully God, fully man. Lives out the commands of God where Abram and Sarah are weak. Jesus is strong. And he trusts God in the midst of horrific pain and suffering. Jesus is the picture that we need to remind us that our God is good and gracious and meets us in the brokenness right now. Because God showed up 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary, and gave his life for you and me. Do you trust him? And maybe you're in the room today and you've never placed your faith in Christ. You've never committed your life. You've never said, I believe that Christ is who he says he is, and that means I'm going to trust him no matter what. Maybe that's you today. Right now, God is calling you. He's beckoning you to trust him. It's very simple. Paul tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Right now, one moment, one prayer, it's that simple. Church, I pray that we never lose the sight of a God who comes to us in our brokenness, in our pain, and picks up the pieces. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for anyone in the room who, who has not placed their faith in Christ. Pray with me. God in heaven, we acknowledge that you are a good, gracious, and loving God. And when we have made a total mess of the situation, you step in in your timing and in your way. So God, may we learn to trust you and to not make things more difficult. May we trust you in waiting and we trust you in doing the right next thing. God, I pray right now for the people in the room who may not know Jesus. Would you press on them? Would your spirit be so strong and so clear, and would they profess faith in Jesus Christ, no matter how long they've been running from you? God, I pray that you'll bring someone to faith. We know that's what you do. We know that's the kind of God you are. God, would you help us be a church that waits for whatever you have, both individually and collectively. God, we have dreams and hopes that our church will be able to reach this community. We have hopes that our church will be a light to the nations, that we will send people far away so that they can tell people about Jesus. But but may we never force that. May we trust you, God. And may we walk in faith in the waiting